I mean, without a doubt. No question without about it. All right, here we are, episode 191. 191. We are cooking along. We really are. We really are. Hey, real quick, uh, I think this is the first time we've recorded since we were at the RE Plus conference, right? It is. It is. So, a little quick, download on that. Quick recap. Um, first of all, massive, massive event that was in Las Vegas last weekend that we were able to attend and record some really cool interviews. From what I understand, over 40,000 attendees. Wait, 40? That's what I heard. Yeah, the final numbers. The final number was 40,000 40,000 attendees. I believe it. I do, too. Unfortunately, we were situated in a not-so-great spot. Wasn't as heavy traffic. It wasn't. <laughs> not even close. But we still were able to make oh, yeah. some yeah. really good interviews. Yeah, it was, re- it was a lot of fun. It was and that good, it was episode good will be dropping probably in the next week or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So excited about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a great time, nonetheless. Yeah, got to catch up with our good friend TK. We did, and of course, uh, amazing host as always. Oh yeah, he he overdid overdid as usual. Took us out for a really nice dinner. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Drank some great whiskey, some mezcal. Yeah, yeah. A uh, lot of fun. Produced Sean, smoked a cigar. I did. Had his best uh, madman look going. It was uh, smoked a cigar at a bar. It was amazing. Yeah. We were on the way, like the 30th floor or something? That was, that was that really was cool. freaking cool. Yeah. What a yeah. view. It was awesome. Uh, quick Energeo update. We will be at Energeo here in about three weeks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're leaving in two. Yes. Insane. It's I like know. Three weeks from today. I, I am not prepared. Two weeks from today, we leave. <laughs> right. In Berlin. Oh, my gosh. And real quick, I'm not sure when this episode is going to get released, uh, but I do need to promote this on our social media. There is a, uh, a code. If you use this code, it's IG23-GEHOLICS. You get a free ticket to the exhibit hall. That is amazing. Yeah. So anybody listening, if uh, you're still looking for last-minute tickets, use that code, and uh, you'll be in like Flint, as they say. Outstanding. Yeah. Yep. Um... What else? What else is new? What, what, what's new with you? Since uh, what's, what's new with me? Yeah. Um, you know what? This past weekend, because I traveled two weeks in a row, um, and for me, as I'm getting older, you know, it takes me a little longer to kind of recover from stuff like that. So sure. This last weekend, I literally shut it down for like 24 hours straight, like no phone, no nothing. It was amazing. How was that possible? Well, I, I had the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't on it near as much. Okay. You know? Okay. Just, okay. Yeah. I, you, you decreased screen time by 20% and it felt, felt I, like a vacation. I did, it did, honestly. Yeah. But I needed it, you know, and just had, had to hit the reset button. And uh, man, I'm in a really good place. And it's early in the morning on for this show, and I feel great. Um, oh, that's outstanding. Just give me a, just give me a good day. I'm going to manifest. I got, it. I got that same feeling. Manifesting a great yeah, day. Yeah, absolutely. What's new with you, man? Uh, much of the same, actually. Uh, had, a, had a similar type of weekend. Um, it, uh, my wife's birthday was yesterday, so oh, yeah. did, a, did a little bit of celebrating, a little, nice. little bit of last-minute uh, gift shopping, as per usual, but uh, <laughs> other than that, it's been a nice, nice little week. And you pulled it off, I'm sure. Pulled it off, 
without a hitch. Well, happy birthday to the lovely Lexi. Yes, happy birthday. Look forward to hanging out with you guys in uh, Berlin yeah, here. Yeah, in a yeah, weeks. we're going to get we're a lot of all... good times. Man, oh man. We're either going to come back better friends or wanting to kill each other. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, better friends or with strict boundaries established. <laughs> or if, you, if in three weeks there's no more geoholics, you know why. Right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. All right, tell us about the opening number. Um, well, you know, guys, my. Probably, without a doubt, my personal favorite band. Uh, probably, I think this is the third time we've had them on, Led Zeppelin. That was a song called Black Dog. I'll go through this a little bit. Formed in 1968, Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, John Bonham. Uh, best-selling art, one of the best-selling artists of all time. Two to th probably 300 units, million units sold. Rolling Stone called them the heaviest band of all time. Not really sure about that, but definitely the biggest band of the 70s. Unquestionably one of the greatest enduring bands in rock history. Induction yep. to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1995. I pulled a couple of small little nuggets. Um, I didn't know this. Uh, for one night, they were no Led Zeppelin was known as The Knobs. What the fuck? So in uh, 1970, Fra Eva von Zeppelin, a direct descendant of Count Ferdinand von Zeppelin, was upset over what she believed to be dishonoring of her family name by the band. Oh she demanded the group change their name. She got her wish. February 28, 1970, they performed as the Knobs in Copenhagen. Huh. Uh, just about three hours later, everyone complained, and they were back to Led Zeppelin, and it's been that way ever since. Wow. Yeah. Good stuff. Did not know that. I did not either. Did not know that. Uh, my quick story. <clears throat> and we were talking yeah, about this yeah, 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 it's good to share that. And of course, I'm going to show my age here as usual, but I believe I was in possibly sixth or seventh grade when John Bottom died, right? Mm -hmm. And I can remember when this happened because my music teacher, I was in music class, my music teacher uh, came in sobbing that day. Like, and you know, all, all those kids are like, what's going on? What's going on? And she's like, one of the greatest drummers of all time died. And she's like, literally crying, literally crying. It was crazy. Uh, yeah, from uh, from the reports, they say that he had uh, he died of drinking the equivalent of forty vodka shots. Forty vodka shots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> that would do anybody, in, I think. Yeah, and he was a he was a pro and still still did a man. So it's crazy. Well, hey, amazing band. Never gonna find some. Uh, I don't think we'll ever see a band as big as them. They they had a plane. A plane. I mean, yeah. I know, I know, Drake has a plane, but they were the guys. Yeah. Like, they bought a plane for a tour. That was yep. just the coolest yep. thing. Yep. They set the standard for rock and roll. Oh yeah. Uh, oh no yeah. Doubt Without it. a doubt. All right, cool. Let's move on. Uh, we are in the. What, what are we in this week? Oh no, we're in the Wisdom Wednesdays studio this week. It is. It is the Wisdom Wednesday studio. And one thing I want to mention, I'm sure if you're listening to this, uh, you've heard of Wisdom Wednesdays. If not, go to www.wisdomwednesdays.xyz and check it out. Uh, amazing resource for anybody interested in surveying and geospatial in general. Mm -hmm. And one other thing I want to uh, plug is uh, TK, you know, he sends out a, like a, I don't know, I guess maybe it's a weekly or a monthly newsletter. So if you're on his email list, uh, you get this newsletter. And every week, or every time I see it, it keeps getting better and better. Oh yeah, and, you know uh, TK. He's gonna he's gonna he's yeah. gonna come with something good. Absolutely. The last one that he sent out was just amazing, incredible content. So get on that get on that mailing list, and I'm sure you can find it at the uh, Wisdom Wednesdays website. Uh, next up. Dot X Y Z. Dot X Y Z. Yep. yep. Um, Airworks. Random trivia. What do you got? Uh, you know, it's not very random with me. Uh, Kent thinks I'm corny for this, but uh, I pulled some 
fall or autumn trivia nuggets. Um, did you know that only America calls it fall? I did not. Everybody else, call, it was originally called Harvest, oh, and yeah. then they started calling it Autumn, and yep. then some English poet in, you know, 1800s called it the fall of the leaves, and then uh, they kind of, it was kind of kitschy to call it fall, and then uh, England went back to autumn, and America just kept fall. Interesting. Uh, do you know more people fall in love than fall than any other season? <laughs> um, we could talk about that for a while, I suppose. <laughs> but I actually did meet my wife in, in October. Ah, you know, I think I probably met Megan. I met her in July. It was summer. So that means you fell in love like a month later, or was it the mm. the the minute? She, she, I know she doesn't listen, so it was. <laughs> you can be honest. <laughs> I, it was probably in the fall. Let's just call it the fall. All right, all right. Um, you can see the brightest full moon in the fall. That's the harvest, harvest moon. moon. Is, yep. And uh, this one's kind of funny, maybe slightly inappropriate, but uh, bobbing for apples was originally a courting ritual. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'll let your imagination go with that one. That. <laughs> and uh, finally, the fall leaf colors are caused by sugar. And the, the, the color in the leaves is based on how much sugar is in the leaves. Interesting. Yeah. I learned something today. Look at that. I knew it was going to be a good Every day. single time you give me shit about, oh, that's a stupid topic. And then every single time you're like, oh, that's really cool. Uh, so what that says about me is I, I actually can relate to the stupid topics. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up we have the Advanced Genetic Survey's Weekly Words of Wisdom. Yeah, what you got this week? Um, this one's good. And again, it's going to keep us in this, this happy place. Okay. Here we go. Spread love everywhere you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. Okay. And I think that's going to be very appropriate for you today. You have a full day. I do. Manager's meeting, got to go to Tucson for oh, a meeting. Yeah, you're going to encounter yeah. a lot of people today. And so what you're saying is I need to spread love. Spread love. And leave everyone better than I got them. And that, I think if you try really hard to do that, it, your day is going to be better than you could ever imagine. Uh, well, you said it earlier. I will manifest that today. Love it. Love it. And that quote, of course, comes from the one and only Mother Teresa. Oh, of course. So we had Black Dog and Mother <laughs> Teresa in the same episode. Uh, you know. Hard to believe. <laughs> Not sure how we did it, but we did. All right. Next up, let's get our guest in here. Sponsored by XYHT Magazine. We have Ben Williams from Exxon Technologies. A little bit about Ben real quick. Born in Mystic, Connecticut. Uh, attended the University of Pennsylvania. Go. Uh, <laughs> Quakers? Yes! Hey! hey! <laughs> <laughs> we uh, achieved a BS in computer science engineering. And did you know that the University of Pennsylvania was founded by Ben Franklin in 1791? I did know that. Really? Yeah. How did you know that? Why would you know that? I just, I'm a smart guy. All right. There you go. Uh, he was also at the Naval Nuclear Power Training Command. Where he was, was that Ben Franklin or this Ben? Uh, this Ben. Okay, <laughs> got it. <laughs> he was a nuclear engineer officer. Thank you for your service. Absolutely. Uh, also attended Wharton School, which is a school of business at University of Pennsylvania. Yep. Where he got his master's in business. He's a father, husband, combat veteran, Division One track athlete, men's league rugby player, and Alpine Mountaineer. I mean, that is a lot. Kind of a renaissance, man. It really is. Uh, currently <laughs> the COO of Exxon Technologies, which we're going to find out a lot more about here in a minute. And he is passionate about science fiction novels and novelists, the art of listening first. Okay. That's huge. Yeah. Uh, 
Metalocalypse <laughs> service sarcasm, and he is a begrudging optimist. Uh, I like that term. This is, there's a lot to follow up right there in itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a show in his bio alone. Exactly. So, Ben, welcome <laughs> to the Geoholics. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So, what we do typically right now is we do a uh, an icebreaker, mm -hmm. and this is of course the Trimble Pro Point icebreaker. <coughs> and here's the question for you: If you could swap lives, I know Sean loves this one, mm -hmm. with someone for a day, who would it be, and what would you hope to learn or experience? Uh, that's a cool idea. I mean, I think I, I grew up doing a lot of outdoor stuff, but I've sort of, you know, left that behind a little bit with the uh, the corporate world and all the other stuff I do. So, you know, I think it would be super interesting to be someone that does, you know, ecological forest work off way in the woods somewhere where you're you know, out of contact. You don't have phone or Internet or anything like that. You're doing interesting like nature based work sort of out in the wild. I think that would be just a one change of pace <laughs> and yeah. also just a really interesting world that, you know, I have a little bit of uh, insight into, but it'd be a totally different life shift, you know? Yeah. So it sounds like you'd like to switch lives with Grizzly Adams, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Modern day Grizzly Adams. Right? There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for that. So athletics obviously has been a huge part of, mm -hmm. of your life. Um, talk about that just a little bit. You know, I mean, being a Division One track athlete, what what event were you uh, were you in? Yeah, I came in to college as a uh, decathlete, and oh, well, uh, so all of them. All of them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I was I was neither good enough nor had enough time to train for ten events all the way through college uh, with everything else. So mm -hmm. I ended up focusing on throwing the hammer and javelin, uh, which was super fun, and got to uh, got to do some really cool stuff. I always wanted to try to throw a hammer. I don't <laughs> want to be anywhere near you when you <laughs> I mean, I've always seen that. Like, that looks really cool. And really And I know it's very technical, and, you know, you think you can do it, and these yeah. guys go <laughs> crazy. But I've always, that's, that's one thing. Javelin, not as much, but definitely yeah. the hammer. It's got to be all technique. Oh, yeah. Got to be. Got to oh, be. Yeah. Uh, also, rugby player, Alpine Mountaineer. Uh, uh, I got to hear about a little bit. Uh, Alpine Mountaineer. Um, yeah. Is that just... You know, when it snows, you just kind of walk up a hill or <laughs> give me a little bit more context on what it takes to be an Alpine Mountaineer. Sure. I mean, a lot of it uh, is basically just willingness for self-punishment. <laughs> you're, oh, good. You're, you're good at that. The, the cold and, yes. uh, you know, you're at elevation and all that stuff. So um, a lot of it is uh, is just, you know, willing to push through and get to the uh, get to the summit, so to speak, both metaphorically and literally. Um, and I think for, for me, a lot of it is that you get the, you don't get a lot of opportunities in day-to-day -day life to really sort of push yourself to physical and psychological limits. Mm -hmm. And I love the opportunity to, uh, to do that in a way that you also then have like a clear achievement, even though, you know, as the saying goes, the, uh, the journey is as important as the destination. Mm. Um, but like so it. a lot of this started with, you know, climbing um, above uh, treeline, which is the alpine zone. And so getting above there, you're in crampons, which are the spikes on your, your boots, and you're roped up with a team. And wow. um, so there's a lot to it, but it's a really, really good experience and, you know, pretty fun. Nice. Yeah, pretty fun, you said. 
Uh, back to the uh, icebreaker. I would just like to tr- spend a day in the life of Ben. There you go. <laughs> it's like what I would like to do. And this Ben. Not ben <laughs> this Ben, not Ben Frank. Well, both, I'd say, but, but probably this Ben. Oh, man. Talk about this passion you have for uh, sci-fi. Where, where does that come from? Yeah, I mean, I think I grew up reading a lot of sci-fi, and uh, I, initially it was probably just like a, an interesting escape from day to day, but you know, as I got a little bit older, I started realizing um, a lot of the, the sci-fi novelists used this sort of the extremis of, uh, of you know, aliens or off-world or whatever to more accurately critique existing social structures and that kind of thing. And so, you know, some of the best sci-fi books uh, are on their surface, like space opera or whatever, but then very close below the surface is very pointed commentary on existing social structures and, you know, what, what is sort of weird or wrong with uh, society as is. And so I've, I've always loved that sort of duality, being able to be both totally escapist and then also bring it back to what would we do if we could do things differently or, you know, without the sort of the, the history and the context of uh, what we have now. And I really love that because it's almost like the pass you give a sci-fi show, but it's really, you know, <laughs> Pointing, you know, making fun of somebody, but it's like, oh, it's aliens yeah. or some some funky stuff. And it's like, oh, it's okay, yeah. but really, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Is there any? Is there a sci-fi book or movie that, uh, in your opinion, most parallels reality? Oh yeah, good question. Like the one that comes. Um, to, I, do you remember a movie called yeah. Soylent Green? Oh yeah, Charlton Heston, right? Yes. Yeah, that was, so I mean, Green that's what I was. Yeah, yeah, that was. That was a weird one. That was a weird one. But is there any one that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, there, there's. I could go on for hours about this, but I, I think the uh, the first season of the Battlestar Galactica reboot, I think, was one of the most fascinating uh, studies of you know government and military and sort of character uh, clash that I've ever seen. It's just an, a superbly well done season. Highly recommended to watch. Um, I think they did a great job of really walking the line of, you know, in this, you know, again, super extreme situation, what is the role of government? What is the role of military? What is the role of democracy? And, you know, it's just such a fascinating um, thing and brought me back a little bit to my days in the Navy where, you know, it was a lot of times a very specific structure, but in place because, you know, all these rules are written in blood. So. It's a it was a really fascinating uh, fascinating show. I think that's a good one to start with. That's interesting. Absolutely. Um, so, as the COO of Exxon, um, <laughs> talk about that just a little bit. I mean, we're going to dive deeper into exactly what Exxon does, but um, what, what's a typical day like for you? Uh, maybe talk about the company culture <laughs> a little bit, and then we'll get into yeah. into the nuts and bolts of it. Sure. So, I mean, uh, my broad charter as the COO is to, uh, to execute on the business. Uh, we have, uh, you know, a bunch of different technical teams, uh, some of which sit under me, some of which sit under uh, a CTO that, you know, runs uh, especially the sort of research-oriented portions. And so generally the idea is how do we build a successful commercial operation around this core technology and making sure that our work our engineering, our processes, our people are all revolving around customer centricity. So you know, what does the customer need? What is the best experience for that end user? 
and how do we make sure that the things we're developing fit into that vision and you know make sure that they're going so you know on a day-to-day -day basis uh, a lot of it revolves around um, block and tackling just making sure that the systems get out to customers making sure we're building them right making sure we're developing the right uh, the right products and all that sort of thing um, you know I mentioned in uh, in in that little uh, the intro thing um, I'm, I'm a big believer in listening first a lot of my time is spent trying to understand and that's both customers and employees and you know market at large uh, the better we can understand what's going on around us the better we can take uh, decisive and correct action uh, the first time and so um, you know a lot of a lot of my time is honestly spent listening trying to understand what's uh, what's going on around me uh, me personally I love that uh, I'm I'm having this evolution about uh, my management style and one of those is uh, if you get done with a meeting and you talked the most, uh, you did it wrong. You did it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to actively remind myself to to listen, and especially when you're doing a one-on-one -on -one or meeting with a client, like, and I'm talking more than they are, and I, 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 that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Listen first is great. This is a big change for you. <laughs> I mean, it is. It is a life-altering change. I'm not saying you're a control freak. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do. <laughs> oh man. Hey, Kent. Tell us about one of the OG friends of the program, Safety Apparel. Oh, my gosh, Safety Apparel and Matthew Stansbury. They have been with the Geoholics from day one. And in addition to that, they have reinvented Safety Apparel for surveyors with the highest quality materials and most functional and versatile vests the safety industry has ever seen. Man, they really have. Safety Apparel offers ANSI CSA compliant, high visibility surveying construction vest and reflective traffic control gloves, hats, stickers, and patches. In addition, they will provide you with company logos and other designs on vests, shirts, jackets, etc. And Safety Apparel is also introducing the newest member of the Party Chief family, the Summer Yellow Class 3 with zip-off sleeves for Class 2 and Class 3 compatibility. Check them out at safetyapparel.us and send them an email at info at safetyapparel.us with your needs specifically, and they will do their best to get you headed in the right direction. All right, well, let's dig into this. Exxon, uh, super cool stuff you guys got going on. Talk about it a little bit. Um, and, yeah, just time for you to just talk about all things Exxon. Yeah. So uh, we're a, a software company, and uh, we sit at the intersection of high accuracy, uh, rapid mapping, uh, and autonomous navigation for you know, small robotic systems. And uh, those two are actually very self-complementary. Uh, the better you can map your environment, the better you localize where you are as a system, then it makes it easier and more effective to navigate autonomously. And the converse is true as well. Once you are able to navigate autonomously, uh, successfully and dependably, the more able you are to gain these high accuracy data sets in all kinds of wild environments, either inaccessible to humans or difficult or dangerous to access. And so uh, the two of those end up becoming a, a really great complementary uh, set of areas to focus on. Um, and what that has meant to us from a product perspective is, you know, we started out with sort of pure autonomy as the, as the goal. And over time, as we learned more about what uh, our end customers want out of those systems, uh, we ended up focusing more and more time on the uh, the data outputs of those, you know, capturing insights rapidly, accurately, and getting it to the point where they can make a decision based on it uh, as, fa as fast as possible. And so um, that's informed a lot of our design decisions. 
the self-contained nature of the system. So we operate GPS denied and you know, no prior map required. You can, it's an entirely self-contained system. So you can build these models out in the field. You don't need to connect to the internet or the cloud or anything like that. You can make uh, you know, informed decisions right there as the team has you know, collected information. And so I think that's been a big, a big help for us. We started out in the underground mining world and now we're, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of sort of broader geospatial data um, capture. So that's kind of the kind of how we started out, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And where is that going now as far as applications? You know, you started underground mm -hmm. mining. What, yeah. what other industries are you getting into or are you seeing uh, adding value? So right now our biggest areas are uh, in sort of the critical infrastructure, um, rapid capture on, um, you know, inspections and monitoring, construction, uh, sort of the as-built uh, building mm. monitoring and upgrades is a, is a big one too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure the, the folks listening are, are quite familiar with the idea of mobile mapping and rapid mapping. And so in this kind of context, where we take that to the next level is that we do a lot of sensor fusion. You can collect these richer data sets. So instead of getting a, a, you know, a simple point cloud, you fuse uh, visual radiation, gas, temperature, whatever, all of these sensors can be fused in real time. So you get these very, very rich data sets, which allows you to do a lot more in terms of uh, removing people from difficult or dangerous environments, uh, doing it quickly, effectively. And the sort of the end goal for us is to have uh, physical enterprises, you know, industrial enterprises, uh, remove the need for people to be just kind of walking around uh, their systems. And instead, you have distributed robots taking in all of the information that you need to operate the business. It gives you access to the sort of the foundations of big data and then applying things like neural nets, machine learning, you know, predictive analytics, all of those things you can't even do unless you can get the data in the first place. Mm. We fill in all those gaps. So do hardware manufacturers come to you and you help them solve problems or is it more of a consumer comes to you with a problem and you help them? <laughs> what does what, what the business model look like? So it's mostly uh, large, heavy industry. So think of, you know, the mining world, the construction world, um, you know, survey teams that do survey as a service, uh, folks that are out doing um, data collection uh, for the construction or building monitoring world. All of those are, are areas where we've uh, found a lot of uptake. Um, similarly, in the sort of civil government world where there's a lot of you know, sensitive information to gather, but they want to do it quickly and effectively and not have it uh, you know, sort of transition off into uh, some distant <laughs> server, uh, there's a lot of applications there as well where um, data control is really important and people are now a lot more sensitive to um, control of their data and, you know, understanding where it sits and who owns it and all that sort of thing. Um, so in the, in the grand scheme of things, we are usually uh, working with uh, industrial clients. The end users are actually pretty varied. Uh, we started with mostly survey teams across all these industries, but now we're getting to the point where, you know, operations folks that want to be able to optimize the layout or, you know, the, uh, the empty spaces in there and their facilities. Uh, logistics, you know, trying to do cycle counting or mapping out the uh, the physical uh, physical environment so that they are better utilizing it. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of more expanded use cases, and that's honestly kind of the most fun part about this is that when you put an autonomous system or a you know a, a rapid mapping system into the hands of an end user, they will often do things that you didn't think of at all, and then will come back and say, hey, 
were we allowed to do that? And you go, I don't know, but let's <laughs> see what it, uh, what right. the outcome was and so cool. whether that can be a product. Yeah. And I saw on your website, you know, you, you, like it looks like you're teaming with like the Boston Dynamics dog and, you know, with like a slam unit mounted on it and yep. um, just some really, really cool things. And I guess that kind of goes back to the whole sci-fi tie, you know, I mean, <laughs> this robotics thing. I mean, how, what, what are you seeing on, on that side? What, what's next? So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, close to the, close to the cart, so to speak, things that are really obvious benefits for, um, for industry, you know, being able to automate things that are otherwise, you know, uh, people walking around, you know, there's, there's some obvious cost benefits there and, you know, removing people from difficult or dangerous environments is great. And we can do that in a lot of scenarios where I think it gets super interesting is where you get a little bit further down the line, you think five, 10, 15 years down. And if you're at the point where you don't have to account for people in a given environment, that allows you to design it totally differently. You know, right now, if you think about um, underground mines, which is, you know, an area we know a lot about, uh, right now there are so many requirements for how to build those because of the safety systems. You've got to have, you know, shelters that are partway down. You've got to think about continuous ventilation so that there's not, you know, collection of gases. You have to wait after a blast a certain amount of time for things to clear out. There's all, all of these requirements, most of them around safety. So if you didn't have to account for a single person in an underground mine, all of a sudden you might go, well, actually the best, most efficient way is not to have these huge tunnels with massive trucks. Maybe it's really narrow tunnels. Maybe it's like three foot by three foot with these autonomous little, you know, snake things that go down and get the, get the ore and come back out. And, you know, you can, you can get kind of a blank slate for designing a much more efficient uh, structure doing that way. Same thing with space travel, where once you remove people from a spacecraft, it gets, you know, order of magnitude cheaper. Mm. You can operate in a lot more different environments. It opens up the economics for you to do different stuff. So I think the same thing is going to be true for industrial environments. Same thing is going to be true for uh, building and uh, maintaining things in the infrastructure world. You know, removing the need for uh, a lot of safety overhead because people aren't going to be there then makes it way more economical to do interesting things that we can't even do right now. They can't contemplate because the cost is too prohibitive. Yeah, it also makes me think about uh, when I was at a previous company, um, we had this company come in, unnamed company come in and do a demo of like an exoskeleton that a human mm -hmm. could wear and allow you to like lift more. I mean, there's a safety aspect of it. And I, yeah, I mean, talk about sci-fi. Oh, yeah. no, that, that movie where the, they're all in those like big, yeah. big, well, what was that? Like a Tom Cruise movie or something where everyone had that big robot thing oh, and then yeah. everyone fought each other. In right. the, yeah. That went the edge of tomorrow. I yes. Like edge that. of tomorrow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a great one. Uh, no, it, and, and it's like a really interesting category, right? Because it's, it's easy, I think for, uh, especially folks like us in industry to sort of say, you know, the next step pretty obvious. There's a lot of things we can do. We can see immediately the advantages for things that we're doing in the next year or two. Um, and a lot of that is just you know, making it happen. Uh, getting beyond that is a little bit more difficult because it is a little more around, you know, what do I think are the knock-on effects from us delivering this this year, you know, competitors catching up or trying to catch up and, you know, where, where is the industry going to be in five years? And then, you know, thinking about our, our industry is going to change independent of us. You know, like a lot of these heavy industries are not always viewed as the most uh, most sexy, but they're not going away. These are all like 
fundamental to the basic economy. So thinking about how they're going to transform is really interesting, and it's kind of a fun way to uh, to think through, you know, how does technology affect the day to day for someone in you know in the survey world or in the uh, you know in the operations world? Like, what can you do with the information you're getting and transform the way that you work? It's really fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. What role does uh, AI and VR play mm -hmm. in uh, Exxon's development? So, I mean, our core technology is in the AI space. The autonomous uh, autonomous vehicle navigation stuff is all in that category of AI. Uh, we don't really play on the uh, like the chat GPT uh, side of things, the large language models. Uh, that's a lot more about sort of uh, written language uh, understanding and insight generation. Um, but where those same general ideas apply is in classification and acting on classification. And mm -hmm. what that means for us is, you know, if a, if a system is navigating through, um, let's say, a construction site and you are able to classify parts of that environment, you say, oh, I see a dust cloud got kicked up. Um, if I am not doing any work to classify the environment, that shows up as an obstacle to the robot and to an operator if they don't know any better. And so then if you can classify that and say that is that is dust that is not a physical barrier, but it is a, a, you know, a difficult safety thing. So you can move through it, but just go slowly. Then that changes the way you interact with your environment. Uh, more and more of these little elements that help the robot itself understand the environment becomes a big, big game changer in, uh, in how you deploy those systems. Because if you think about the, uh, an autonomous system is only useful if you can trust that it's fine on its own. <laughs> if right. it you know requires you to kind of jump in and help it every ten minutes, uh, you know not doesn't really help. And so the more you can trust it to be resilient to those sort of oddball things in the environment, the more likely you are to actually use and deploy and take advantage of that capability. So uh, I think the you know the the big sexy leaps in like now it's autonomous for X Y Z then becomes a challenge of is it only working 50% of the time or can you trust that 90% of the time it's going to mm. going to work and so a lot of that is just working through all of these scenarios and you know doing the work to build classification engines and have it impact how you uh, how the, the autonomous system reacts to those worlds and so i think that's where you know we've spent the last couple of years focusing on on that aspect of it because we want the systems to be usable and resilient and for people to be able to take advantage of the autonomy in a lot of environments. And I think that's where that's where most of the, the actual work of deploying these things comes in. Um, and a lot of it is working with customers, right? You know, we don't we don't pretend to know all the environments people are operating in. And a lot of times they'll go, hey, can we try it in this area? And we go, sure, just send us the data so we know how to improve it. Right. <laughs> and so it's a, it's a really fascinating cycle to go through of continuing to push the boundaries and continuing to try and improve uh, resilience and capacity of, uh, of those systems. Sure. It makes me think about uh, Waymo. Are you, are you familiar with Waymo? Yeah. So the autonomous or driverless vehicles. Phoenix is obviously one of the cities where it's oh, yeah. pretty prevalent. Sean's oh, a big user I'm of a, Waymo. I'm a Waymo user. Yeah. Um, so this has got to strike a chord with you. Um, yeah, and it goes to the, and I relate it, what, what Ben was saying, to the uh, you know, the Waymos are currently having trouble with like construction sites or they just mm -hmm. kind of don't know how to handle yep. the, the flagging and some of that. So it kind of slows down and sometimes it just stops. Oh, wow. And mm -hmm. it's it was just kind of like the worst case scenario because that's the last place you want to stop. But yeah. it's mm -hmm. more about and that's what my question to Ben was, is how is it a 
is it about getting more experience? You know, you mentioned like the dust cloud. Like, do you do you need to deploy these things and let it work itself out and learn more to be more effective, or can you preload that? If, does it have to yeah. do it on its own? Is is my question, or do you have to put it in a place to force yeah. it to learn those conditions? <laughs> so uh, both are sort of valid approaches. We have tried to build our system um, so that it can handle things universally, uh, which is more work up front, obviously, but you know, to that point, we don't want to have to go to every specific scenario and let it muddle around for a while until it figures it out. Uh, so we try and do as much of that up front as we can. Um, in a lot of cases, there's there's variation in the industrial environments we work in, but there's a lot, also a lot of consistency. Like dust in a mine is pretty similar from sure. a classification to you know dust in a factory floor or a construction site. Um, same thing, you know, there's hanging wires in any of these environments. Those are generally pretty similar. Uh, so you can you can build kind of a baseline that covers most of the areas that you're thinking about. And we don't have to just sort of let things, you know, muddle, muddle around in the, uh, in the environments continuously to get there. We do ask our customers oftentimes to capture data sets from some of these environments that are kind of on the edge of what we know the system can do mm. so that we can try and be proactive about you know, developing uh, those edge case handlers. Um, most of the time successful, sometimes not, but you know, we've been able to get a lot of really, uh, really great data sets. I mean, we've got some awesome partners uh, in industry that are helping us push the bounds there. So you know, we couldn't, couldn't really do it without them as well. So uh, can you give us an example? I mean, this just made me think, like, what's the most, like, what's the biggest curveball in a setting that has happened to one of these that have been deployed? You know, you mentioned the dust cloud, but what's the yeah. one that you just could not predict and yeah. <laughs> as much as you can share? But, uh, like, give, can you give us an example of that? Yeah. So we, we had this one that took forever to figure out. Um, basically, there were little microclimates being formed in pockets of underground caves. And uh, it took forever to figure out because, you know, it, it would transition quickly and it would turn from, you know, one temperature to another temperature really fast. And there would be like a, a fog layer that you couldn't uh, quite see before it, and then you cross it and you're like, a, well, <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> right. uh, and so, you know, we eventually figured out ways to detect rapidly. And when, you know, when it seems like a failure is imminent, then it like, lands itself or it removes itself from that scenario and that's been pretty effective but that was a really hard id because a lot of times when you're in those environments um you can't put people there because it's you know right after some dangerous work has gone on so you don't really want people there in the first place that's why you have an autonomous yeah, yeah, system that's kind of the idea yeah and so um so we had to just sort of lose a bunch of systems before we were able to get enough data to to kind of solve the problem um, but now it seems like we're we're on the other side of that in a lot of ways, and so, you know, we're 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 not losing systems that way, and you know, we've been able to get uh, get through it, and it ended up making a much more resilient system. So oh sure yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah, I can picture the, you know the the little robot drone going through the tunnel, and all of yeah. a sudden the humidity doubles and the temperature drops by yeah. forty degrees, and then it just yeah. oh it runs into the wall, and you're like oh crap. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I wonder how much longer it'll be since we have driverless cars, pilotless commercial planes. 
Uh, <laughs> let's just say I hope that's a little after my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm on board for Waymo because my feet are close to the ground. Yeah. I'm not sure. And I know it's all autonomous and the, the pilots are up there, you know, drinking coffee and playing Pinochle. But I yeah. just, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just like the idea of somebody that can grab the wheel. Yep. Interesting. I'm almost the opposite. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I, I think it would almost be easier in some ways to develop autonomous planes or pilotless planes than it is a vehicle because of the amount of, um, I don't know. Regulation. Well, regulation for sure. And just the, there, there's so much to avoid in a car versus in a plane. In, yeah. a, in a plane, you got to deal with weather conditions and blah, 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 blah. But, but you remember the, uh, the Sullinger movie when, you know, the, he landed the plane in the Hudson? Oh, yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah, all yeah, these yeah. clips yeah. on it. And yeah. they, you know, part of the movie was they tried to tell him after the fact, of course, that, hey, in all of the models, uh, when the birds hit the engines and the engines shut down, yeah. uh, the, the model says that you could have made it back to... Uh, the air, you know, one of two airports in plenty of time. Mm -hmm. And his argument was, well, yeah, that's great if you knew what was going to happen. Sure. But somebody has to, you know, that happens. The engine shut down. You take five mm -hmm. seconds to figure out what to do. Come, right. You know, that pr processing, I really want a gray-haired guy like <laughs> Sully to do it instead of yeah. uh, an AI, uh, AI robot that maybe hasn't quite learned yeah, how to adapt in time. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. So, who like uh, who are who are some of your your users, your customers that you can talk about? Sure. I mean, one of our one of our earliest customers, um, we're we're doing uh, a ton of work with them is uh, Dundee Precious Metals. It's a uh, mining company. I, I think they're technically based in uh, Canada, but uh, we work with their mine in uh, Chelpech, Bulgaria. That was our oh. first uh, deployed um, autonomous system, and they've been users for almost almost five years now, I think. Um, so they've been, they've been big champions uh, right from the get-go. Um, we've got a, a bunch of other great customers across, uh, across a bunch of continents. Um, we announced recently a partnership with uh, CR Kennedy, who's a, a big distributor in, uh, in Australia. They've been uh, huge champions for us as well. They invested in our last round. Um, and they've, they've been a big help um, getting us into some of these sort of secondary uh, markets uh, outside of purely mining, because that's where we started with them as well. Uh, but they they do a lot of work in the geospatial world. Uh, they do a lot of work outside of mining and construction and, you know, infrastructure. So uh, they've been they've been a huge help for us as well, um, getting us getting us moving. Um, similarly, we work with uh, with Trimble quite a bit. Uh, we were at their Trimble Dimensions conference last year. We demonstrated the, uh, the spot uh, Boston Dynamics Spot Autonomy with them uh, at their conference. Uh, we've now had a chance to go out to some customer sites with them and uh, you know get their distributors spun up on uh, on these concepts as well. So uh, they've been a great partner for us uh, all the way through. It's been really fun. Yeah, I, we probably saw you there. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I believe we saw you there. Yeah, I know I saw the, I know I saw the, I remember, the, yeah. the dog. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I am really excited about this next friend of the program, GeoSearch. They are new for 2023. Sean, tell us about GeoSearch. GeoSearch is a company specialized in geospatial recruiting and staffing services. You know what? I can't believe it's taken three years, but they are recruiters that have a passion for matching job seekers for job openings in the geospatial industry, specifically including job titles such as GIS analysts, 
GIS developers, liner specialists, land surveyors, as well as management and sales positions. Yeah, that's really great. They have a network of an industry contacts and a thorough understanding of the geospatial job market really allows them to efficiently connect companies with the talent that they are looking to hire. And we know that it is a competitive Man, is world right now in the geospatial uh, profession. This company offers a variety of services for both job seekers and employers, including job search assistance, resume writing, I might have to call them, and interview preparation for job seekers and employer branding and sourcing for companies. How can folks find out more? Uh, just go to geosearch.com. So is, yeah. is there a hardware component to it? Are, are you guys developing like UAVs? Is that, is that part of it or is it strictly software? So we, at the end of the day, we are on a hardware system. So there's always a bit of a hardware component. Um, but we've tried to stay fairly hardware agnostic. We've integrated on a dozen different drones, a few different uh, ground vehicles. Um, you know, we have a handheld system that you can, you know, put on a backpack or put on the front of a car or a truck or whatever. Um, so we've stayed fairly hardware agnostic. Uh, but there's there's integration stuff that we do. Um, almost everything on the hardware side is off the shelf. Um, but you know, there's some some little bits that we optimize to make sure that the uh, uh, the quality of the end product is exactly what we needed, of course. Um, but, you know, we work with lots of drone companies, uh, a bunch of different robotics manufacturers, uh, a lot of discussions now with uh, with OEMs that want the autonomy and want the uh, uh, you know, sort of the, the slam engine and the ability to build these maps uh, quickly and effectively. And so uh, I think you're going to see a lot of expansion um, platform-wise as, uh, as we continue to uh, get out to the market. Cool. So you've had a, uh, you know, pretty diverse career so far, you know, with your <laughs> combat experience and, uh, yeah. you know, working for large organizations, founding startups. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the lessons learned that you've in encountered along the way? Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, the by far the biggest lesson is that uh, communication is always the problem. Whatever you think the problem is, it's probably communication, especially in fast-moving organizations um, or large organizations, almost always communication. It's really easy to, to interview and test and hire for people who have specific skill sets. It's really hard to test for people's ability and willingness to communicate successfully in an organization. You know, I saw in you know the operational Navy, this was always a problem, and you know they they tackled head-on. It's a big big focus. Uh, for military is you know how do you communicate quickly and effectively what the, the objective is and what the status is so i spent a lot of time doing that i ran the communications department on a missile cruiser in the, in the first mm -hmm. second gulf war and it was it was the sort of the nexus for where everything was happening which was really interesting um, but you know even as i then transitioned into into big corporate and into startups uh, whenever there was a problem usually it was just that people didn't quite understand what they were supposed to be doing um, even where it seemed at first like, you know, oh, this guy's incompetent or this girl's not doing the right thing, usually because I didn't tell them <laughs> the right objective or didn't listen when they were like, we can't do that. That's not possible. Or why are we doing that? doesn't make any sense. And so my big takeaway is all about communication. And it really revolves, I think, around uh, being humble enough to recognize that, um, especially in a leadership position, I am often the problem and assume that I'm going in wrong 
and that my only goal is to try and be less wrong quickly. And then you get pretty close to the goal that way. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm ma making Kent write that down because that's uh, <laughs> that that's great of of uh, I'm usually the problem. <laughs> I think if we all if we why all did that of, one strike a chord? <laughs> I don't know, but it goes back to the uh, having a one-on-one -on -one with a with a with an employee and talking for 90, 95 percent yeah, of it. Right. Yeah. I uh, nope. so on the communication uh, topic. I mean, first of all, I love this conversation. Uh, so, do you find that you your communication style it needs to be consistent or does it need to be adaptable? Well, I mean, it's all about audience in a lot of cases, right? Like people from the marketing world or from the content world, you know, live and die by how do they measure their audience and how do they make their content relevant for their audience. So to some extent, there, there's always that, that element of make sure that whatever you're trying to get across you're saying in a way that your audience can take it in. Hmm. Um, you know, don't make it their problem, make it your problem. And so in that case, you know, it's always a little bit variable. Uh, the counterpoint to that is that, especially in uh, like a C-level position at a company that's more than, you know, 15 or 20 people, you also still need to be pretty consistent. It doesn't need to necessarily be expressed the same way, but the themes and the goals need to be consistent whenever you're talking about it. And so, you know, you'll see really good, you know, public company CEOs, they'll say the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it's not because they're, they're dumb or they don't, you know, can't think of anything else. It's because their whole goal is to make sure that people take in like three to five messages, period, and that they're not distracting from, you know, all the other, all the other stuff. And that's a hard lesson because, you know, we, we as people want to connect more, more specifically but you also need to get across like very specific themes all the time. So I think it's like this, this sort of push and pull all the time of you know, making it relevant and direct and at the same time being consistent when you're talking to every single person. So uh, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard, no doubt. And it fosters accountability. <laughs> Definitely. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, I think that's, I, to you, that's probably the most important part, right, is even whatever you say, it doesn't matter if you don't follow through on it, so. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, can we go back to that? Uh, you mentioned something earlier that you're a uh, reluctant optimist. Is it begrudging? Begrudging. Okay. okay. Yeah. Can you expand on, on that a little bit? Yeah, I think um, the way the way that I would describe that is that uh, I have I have ultimate faith in um, the gradual and overall movement of people, but. <laughs> individual interactions and, uh, you know, individual people oftentimes can be horrendous or, you know, not, not fun. And I think you, you know, the world is full of examples of bad things happening and bad things going on. It can be really easy to kind of, uh, get, feel overwhelmed by it. And I, you know, I, I certainly feel that way sometimes. I'm sure you guys do too. Um, but then when you step back a little bit and you look at sort of broad historical contexts, you know, we've never been better, <laughs> you know, better in terms of like the world's look, everyone can afford a TV for, you know, 70% of the world population. Like, that's absurd. A hundred years ago, there were zero, right, yeah. zero TVs, right? It's like, you think about some of these basic measures, you know, world poverty is way less than it was 20 years ago, 50 years ago, hundred years ago. Um, and it's not to say that there's, 
not lots and lots of problems, but like I think the thing that that people get really wrapped around the axle on is you know trying to trying to get into like is is one specific thing better or worse or whatever and like the the way I try and look at it is go look accept that we are all partially bad and partially good and the only goal is to try and get a little bit better like don't get into the argument of whether you know the the historical context you know people have done bad things yes of course don't worry about it focus on what we can do better today like whatever we can do we can get a little bit better <laughs> so you know i think that 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 helps me kind of uh ground my actions so that i'm not just you know throwing my hands up in despair i'm not ignoring all the historical context either it's just like look let's just try and do a little bit better and and i think i first of all Ken's smiling because he knows that I love that. Uh, we get into arguments all the time, and he's, he's one of the, Ken and I disagree sometimes, and he's one of the, oh, everything's, you know, so bad right now, and oh, look at the news, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa let's, yep. take a, let's take a step back. It's like, mm -hmm. it's pretty phenomenal, and every, you know, this is still better yeah. than 10 years ago and 20 years ago, mm -hmm. but I think it really applies to, like, a startup or, like, mm -hmm. uh, when you're in a growing company because you get caught up, or and I'm sure you do, and I know I do, yeah. you get caught up in, the day-to-day -day struggles when you have to, wait a second, this was five years ago, this was nothing. Two right. years ago, it was 20% of what it is, and look, you mm -hmm. know, we're, this is so great, and we're worried about the t last 10% of the problems, and that dominates 90% of our, our thoughts and, and actions. And uh, I know, I know, you're giving me that look. No, I, not, I don't disagree with you. I'm just I'm trying to analyze my brain. Because you're right. I mean, I do have those days where I get caught up in the... And I, I am like a uh, optimist by nature. Right? Sure. But there are days, obviously, where I'm just like, what in the hell is going on in this world, you know? But do you think it's maybe that our expectations are too high sometimes? Hmm. Well, yeah, but our expectations are too high because of the, uh, how great it is. I mean, I, mean, I'm I think yeah. that it's it, it's yeah. not a self-fulfilling prophecy here, yeah. but it's, you know, we're only, we're, our, our actions and thoughts are only based on what we experience today and not necessarily 30 years ago. <laughs> exactly. Yep. There's a, there, there was a great comedy bit by, um, I think it was Louis C.K., who I, I, you know, is a little bit on the rocks right now, but uh, he did a great bit about this where he was like, think about the first time you flew in an airplane with internet Wi-Fi and you know, before that, it was inconceivable that you'd be able to, you know, right. access email or whatever on the airplane. And then, you know, halfway through the flight, the email, the whatever, the Wi-Fi drops out for 20 minutes. And then immediately someone's complaining about it. And he's like, like come oh, on. This, this is the is worst thing that could ever possibly happen to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's awesome. That is funny. Um, so Wharton's 40 under 40. You were selected <clears throat> to be a part of that prestigious group, which is amazing. Congratulations on that. Um, so with that, I mean, what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of it that's sort of, you know, regular, regular advice you hear a lot, you know, don't be afraid to be wrong, move quickly, you know, try and figure out what your what your weaknesses, and your strengths are, play to those, surround yourself with good people. Um, I, I think a lot of it also is just um, recognizing that there's no silver bullet, you know, there's no, there's no kind of easy shortcut. It's going to be a lot of work, no matter what you might get super lucky, but that's luck, <laughs> not 
that you mm-hmm. are just some super genius. Like, you know, it's very, very unusual for someone to have this, these like great immediate outcomes because you both have to be incredibly lucky, incredibly smart, right place, right time, all that stuff go right. Mm-hmm. Most of the entrepreneurs, most of the successful businesses are built off of just hard work and like some luck and being, you know, in the right place, getting great people around you. I think the a lot of people get really frustrated quickly because um, they you know they buy into the you know um, the sort of this sort of cult around you know solo genius founders and like that helps but the reason we hear about those is because it's really unusual you know we hear a lot about Steve Jobs because he's like the one guy that figured it out and like the other 499 CEOs in the Fortune 500 are not like that. And they were all very successful doing just hard work and getting through it and listening, learning, you know, growing. So I think there's, I think there's a lot of like, make sure that you're just trying to focus on what it is you want to get done, you know, try and build a plan, roll with the punches a little bit. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not that complicated, honestly. It's just, you know, put in the work, put in the time, listen and learn. Persistence and resilience. Ooh, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, What are you excited about? Whether it be five years, one year, five years, ten mm-hmm. years down the road, what uh, What keeps you motivated? Oh man. Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. I'm I'm I've got two young kids, and so seeing them see me, like I got to bring them in for a uh, a demonstration where we we you know brought the back to our kids at at workday, and seeing through their eyes the autonomous robots was so cool and like totally rejuvenated me for another six months after that. Cause mm-hmm. you would have other parents come up to us and be like, Hey, my kid said that you will like talk to a robot dog. I'm like, yeah, that was, how was that work? <laughs> and it was, it was this sort of this really fun way to kind of refresh my thinking. Cause you know, as, as you say, you like, we can it's easy to get kind of down on, the specifics are like, you know, we didn't, we didn't hit like one particular milestone. You're like, oh man, everything is, everything is bad, but you know, it's not, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, being able to kind of refresh through your kid's eyes is super cool. Um, I think from a, from the business perspective, you know, we are finding some really cool use cases You know, we've got a lot of great momentum going into, uh, into the end of the year and next year, I think it's going to be some, just some really cool growth. And, um, and I'm really looking forward, actually, you know, in the in the geospatial world specifically, because we're kind of newer to that category, but we're seeing some really great uptake and cool partners. So I'm excited to see that grow. I think it's going to be a really fun, uh, fun next year or two. Uh, I've got two things on that. One, Ben has to be the best bring your dad to school oh, day. Right? I mean, <laughs> everybody else is in there and he's just got the coolest gadgets and everyone else is jealous. Uh, yeah. Uh, but then that, that brings me to a question, you know, looking forward in the next few years, do you see more advancements in the technology itself or do you see more applications in use cases? I mean, both for sure. I think the the biggest, I think what you'll see publicly is uh, expansion of use cases. I think behind the scenes, there's going to be uh, a lot of the these optimizations that are not super obvious from... Um, you know, like a new feature perspective, but they dramatically increase resilience and the capability uh, capacity of the platforms. I think there's a lot of that that's going to be going on um, because, you know, it's like out of a, out of a 10 year cycle, there's, 
you know, one or two really big advancements that are like, we proved we could do X and now that's part of the product. And then the next five years is making it work in the real world <laughs> so mm -hmm. that it's, you know, not just, you know, it works with an asterisk in certain specific environments, you know, when the, the moon is in the right phase and you're, you know, you're got right. up on the right side of the bed, making it work every day, all day for all of the users. That's where all the hard work is. Right. And so, you know, we're, we're in the middle of that phase for some of the newer markets and it's exciting. Get a lot of great feedback and get a lot of new uh, customers, early adopters. So I think that's, that's probably where, where most of our efforts are. I think you're going to see one or two new uh, new products that come out next year, um, which will be pretty fun. So uh, keep your keep your ears peeled for that, <laughs> I suppose. Love it. So I got to know, uh, you've got so many irons in the fire and so many passions and so many thoughts and ideas running through your brain any <laughs> second of any day. Um, when you meet somebody for the first time and they ask you what you do, what do you tell them? That's a great question. Uh, I probably... I'm, I'm always guilty of way underplaying it. Um, I usually just say uh, uh, I work in robotics and uh, then <laughs> so it's I, easier which, that way. Yeah. 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 It's, I don't, and I, you know, it's, it's interesting, especially in, uh, you know, I, I live in Philadelphia and it's an interesting city because it's not like the Bay area. It's not like everything is startup. There's a lot of industries here, a lot of media and finance and arts and all kinds of cool stuff. And so, um, when I meet people, uh, I don't want to lead them with like, well, I am the COO of a, uh, you know, funded <laughs> startup and they're like, shut up. <laughs> and so, you know, it's more, it's a lot more interesting to then sort of say, well, you know, I work in, I work in this category. We do some, some cool, fun stuff here. You know, what do you do? And like, I love getting into the weeds of like what makes other people's stuff tick. You know, I love to yeah. hear about know how writers get to their thing how musicians get through their uh you know their creative process and all that stuff is inspiring to me as well because i think there's a lot of interrelated uh, elements between new product creation and arts and media and you know it's all all pretty interrelated i think so i get i got a kick out of that yeah yeah good stuff um what else anything else you want to get out there before we let you go um, look for us at uh, Trimble Dimensions. We will also be at Intergeo. Um, All right. So look for, uh, awesome. Look for some excellent folks out there. Well, tell, and, them to, um, tell them to stop by the to stop by the booth and uh, hang out with the geoholics yeah, a little absolutely bit. Absolutely, will do. And uh, yeah, no, look forward to see everyone out in the field. Uh, all right. Well, we have one last question. We always ask everyone. I'm really interested to see what your answer is. Uh, <laughs> do you have a mantra that you live by? Um. I'm not one sort of explicitly, but I do, I, we've probably covered it a couple times already, but listen first and uh, small improvements, you know, focus on getting a little bit better every day. Um, there is, you know, to jump back to the sci-fi thing, something that I borrow regularly is from, um, uh, what's it called? Altered Carbon, which is a fantastic novel and became a really uh, pretty good uh, Netflix um, TV show. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, I saw that, yeah. And uh, there's a, a particular phrase they use a lot, which resonates with me, which is get to the next screen. And it sort of comes from the video mm -hmm. game world of like, don't worry about getting all the way through, live to fight another day, get to the next screen, you know, get, get moving. And um, I, that resonates a lot with me because, you know, that idea of compound interest, 1% increases continuously, you get there pretty quick. Good stuff. Really, really, really <laughs> good. Well, hey. Uh, ben, thank you for your time. Really, really enjoyed yeah. this. And uh, 
I'd love to do it again sometime, as I know there's so much more we can talk oh, about. Oh, yeah, I know. We, yeah, could, yeah. We, could do a, we could do a round two on just just the applications and use cases. Yep, mm -hmm. no question, no question. Um, all right, man. You got anything else? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm just I'm really kind of energized for today. It's I have good to, to, I have to good day. Manifest that shit. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Adding value, making friends. Check that box. Check it. If anyone would like to be a guest on a future show or have any uh, topical ideas, shoot us an email at info at thegeoholics.com. Led Zeppelin Black Dog, available everywhere. Until next time, everyone, listen first. Listen first. You are probably the problem. <laughs> Sean. Yes. Be less wrong quickly. I love it. Get to the mm -hmm. next screen. Most importantly, be safe and healthy. <laughs>